Almighty Father, as we come now uh, to consider your word, we ask, uh, Father, will you, by your Holy Spirit, bring us into the story of what you have done in the lives of your people before us? Will you bring us into that story, and then will you train us how to recognize what you're doing in the midst of our own day? Will you give us wisdom? Will you give us discernment? And Father, will you uh, go to battle against those things in our lives, the, the sin of our, of our own inclinations, our own suspicions of you, those things in our lives that, that make us um, uh, resistant to you, um, quick to distrust you? Will you go to battle against those things, and will you form within us a disposition to trust you, even, uh, when, they're, when, even when, when we are bombarded with temptations to do otherwise. Build us up strong, not in our strength, but in yours. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. And uh, it's helpful if you turn back to uh, page 7 in your service sheets. Um, we're starting a new series today. For the next many weeks, we are going to be walking through the Old Testament book of Daniel. Now, let's play a little word association game, team. When I say the Bible story of Daniel, what do you think of? Lions. Oh, my goodness. I almost, lions, tigers. Oh, my. Something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Every, now, now, that's true if you grew up in church. If you did not grow up in church, um, then you're like, I don't know what. Are people, is it a zoo story? Um, uh, no, absolutely. So if you grew up in church, uh, you were introduced to the book of Daniel uh, by, by the, the story of Daniel and the lion's den, right? And there's no reason not to love that story. Um, it's a story of courage. It's a story of peril. And, uh, and at the, in the end, Daniel gets to have a sleepover at the zoo with a bunch of cuddly tigers. I mean, lions. Lions, what am I saying? Um, and, and what's not to love, right? Who doesn't want to have sleepover at the zoo? Um, but here's the problem. The, the problem is, because so many of us were introduced to such an iconic story as children, there's a bit of a risk that as we come to Daniel today, that we think of Daniel immediately as, 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 a, as, a, as a collection of children's stories. It's not just the book of uh, the, uh, Daniel and the Lion's Den. There's some other stories that you may associate with your childhood. You may not. That's fine. But if you do, it can be tempting to say, these are stories that I associated with my childhood. They're kids' stories. Uh, and I want to say that they are not kids' stories. Uh, they're completely appropriate for children. It's good that we uh, learn them as uh, children. But the book of Daniel uh, be, deals with questions that are just very deep and profound and at times incredibly troubling questions. And they're questions that we need to deal with if we're going to be all grown-up followers of Jesus. Now, there's many questions that it deals with, but here's just one example of a pretty intense question that gets dealt with in Daniel and that we're going to be uh, exploring today. Here's the question. Does it make sense to trust God when the worst case scenario unfolds in your life? So just imagine like the, a catastrophe, like the worst catastrophe. Imagine that that comes true. Would it make sense to trust God 
if you found out that God allowed that to happen, or maybe even you found that God caused that to happen. Or let me change uh, the, the wording. Does God deserve our allegiance if everything that gives us security in life begins to crumble? Does God deserve our loyalty when those things that, get, that give us security and tell us that everything's going to be okay, when those things begin to be dismantled around us, does God deserve our, uh, our allegiance in that situation? And we can uh, frame that question in terms of our individual lives, our personal lives. Um, uh, perhaps you've had the experience of, of the wheels coming off in your life. And if you have not had that experience, you will. Daniel, however, puts some of these questions in a bit of a wider frame. Daniel experiences collapse and calamity at not just an individual level, but at a societal level. It all comes crashing down around him. And in our world, in, sorry, in our nation at the moment, we have not experienced anything on the level of what Daniel experiences. And yet, uh, I think uh, for many of us, it's almost a cliche right now to say that, we, that, that there's a, 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 a sense of kind of decay in some aspects, uh, some important aspects of our society, right? I mean, it's almost a cliche to say that there's an erosion of confidence in the political system. It's almost a cliche to say that some of the institutions that uh, our society has widely uh, relied upon, uh, that their trust is being eroded. And that's true at a kind of uh, secular uh, political level, but that's also true within the church. It's almost a cliche to say that um, uh, 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 Christianity within this nation uh, is, a lot of people are losing confidence in it. Now, we have not experienced that kind of catastrophic societal dismantling, but I think maybe we're in a moment where some of those scenarios don't feel as remote as they might have used to. So the question, does God uh, uh, hold our allegiance when the cracks are beginning to show in the foundations of all that has given us security up until this point? Or should we invest our allegiance, our loyalty, and our confidence in something other than the God as he presents himself in scripture? Well, I ask that question because the book of Daniel, what it's going to do is it's going to invite us into the experience of one nation's collapse. And then it's going to show us that even there, in fact, especially there, God is worthy of our deepest allegiance and that that is the path forward. In fact, it's the only path forward. Well, come with me into the story, and I'll show you what I mean. Take a look at uh, verse 1 on page 7. It says this. In the, year, in the third year of the, king, of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, with some of the vessels of the house of the Lord. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he placed the vessels of the treasury in, uh, in the house of his God. Now, Emmanuel, those two little verses 
describe the absolute catastrophic dismantling of a nation and of a religious community and of a whole society. Now back up, let me try to create a context here, and I, I'm going to do a quick rehearsal of the history of Israel. All right, everybody take a deep breath. Buckle up. Okay. The story of Israel begins with a guy called Abraham. This is in uh, Je Genesis chapter 12. And we meet Abraham, and he's actually living not far from Babylon. Uh, not Babylon in uh, Mesopotamia, modern-day Iraq, okay, just so we're clear. Um, and when we meet ba uh, uh, Abraham, not far from Babylon, God meets him and says, uh, pack up and move. I'm going to give you a family, and I'm going to give you a land. And so Abraham trusts God, uh, goes, and uh, he, God promises that he's going to become the father of a nation, and that through this nation, God's going to bless all the nations of the world. It's big promises, audacious promises. Fast forward hundreds of years, and we meet Abraham, but they are no longer, uh, they're, they're not in the land that God promised them. They're enslaved in the land of Egypt. And that's where Moses comes in, in the great story of the Exodus. And uh, Israel had, had whispers of the God of Abraham, but they didn't know him very well. And so God interrupted their lives and reintroduced himself to the people of Israel by meeting them in their slavery and liberating them from the greatest superpower of their day and leading them out into the great, wonderful story of Exodus. But it didn't stop there, because when God brought Israel out of Egypt and rescued them, then God and Israel got to know each other. And, and that's when we get the law of the Lord, some of the earlier parts of uh, our Bible, when God speaks and teaches Israel what it's going to look like to live in a relationship with him. And God makes big promises to Israel, and Israel makes big promises to God. And one of the things we find out when we get the law of the Lord we find out that God, this is very important, God, we find out who he is. And one of the things we find out about who God is, is we find out that God is irrevocably committed to things like justice and truth and integrity and goodness. And we find out that God is committed to these things at a level that makes him completely unique over and against every other deity of that time and over and against every human that has ever existed. God is utterly committed to moral purity in a way that is completely unique. And that unique commitment to moral purity is something we call holiness. We find out through the law that God is a holy God. Don't forget that. But keep going. God gets busy with nation building. Um, God gives uh, Israel this thing called a tabernacle. Later on, it's a temple. But the point is that it's a house of the Lord in the midst of this world. It's meant to be an embassy of God. So that if you want to meet with the God of Israel, you got to go to the temple or the tabernacle, the house of the Lord. What I'm describing here are some of the pillars of Israelite society as their story unfolds. And then finally, God gives Israel a homeland. He takes them into a land that we call Palestine or Israel today, what they called Canaan. God brings them into that place. And then we are starting to get all the main pillars of Israelite society. They have a homeland. 
They have a temple, the embassy of God. They have the law of the Lord, which describes who God is and describes them as holy and, and, and uniquely committed to moral purity. Um, and then we have, of course, the whole history of their freedom and of their liberation. And all of that tells Israel. And then there's one last. A few centuries later, Israel gets a king. King David is the good one, part of the time. And God promises remarkably and a little mysteriously at this point that through the dynasty of David, God's going to bring forth a king who's going to reveal God's kingdom to everyone else. Now let that kind of hang in the back of your mind too. But here are the pillars of Israelite society. The king, the homeland, the temple, the law, the story of their liberty and liberation. Why am I saying all this? Here's why. In those first two verses of Daniel, all of that comes tumbling down. Because Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, he invades Israel. He captures Jerusalem. He makes the king of Judah, one of the descendants of David, into a vassal slave. And within a few years, the monarchy of Israel is abolished entirely. And then Nebuchadnezzar not only uh, 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 gets the king and gets Jerusalem, he goes into the temple of God, the embassy of the Lord in the midst of this world. And he steals some of the vessels, some of the holy things out of that temple, and he takes them back to Babylon, back into the temple of his God, so that when the holy things out of God's temple are now in Babylon's temple, it means, or it suggests, or it claims, that the God of Babylon has defeated the God of Israel and is holding the God of Israel captive. And then, he ta and then Nebuchadnezzar takes the Israelites captives as well. Now just pause here. Can you see what's happening? Can you see the dismantling of a nation? The king is gone. The homeland is gone. The, the story of liberation, that coming out of Egypt, that seems to be reversed now, and they're back enslaved. And not only are they enslaved, they're enslaved where Abraham originally came from. Their whole story is coming undone. And the temple, the embassy of God, is desecrated, and in a few years, it's burnt to the ground. Their whole identity is coming untrue. And where's God in all of this, eh? Because all of those pillars of Israelite, all of them um, were gifts from God. So where is God now? Look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, and the Lord, what? What's the verb? Eve. Whenever it talks about the Lord giving something, pay attention. The Lord gave the king of Judah into the hands of the king of Babylon. He gave the temple to Nebuchadnezzar. Now, let that take your breath away. Because Daniel is leading with this outrageous claim that Israel's defeat is not so much Babylon's victory, but the Lord's gift. God gave Israel up to Babylon. 
Now, can you see why Israel might be asking the question, is the Lord worthy of our confidence and of our allegiance if he just gave us up? Because it looks like the Lord has betrayed Israel, doesn't it? All right, well, this is where we need to slow down, okay? Because, unexpectedly, this is the first reason why God deserves our allegiance even when everything that gives us security is being dismantled. What? Well, let me explain. Do you remember uh, what I said? That um, God's unique commitment to moral goodness, that's his holiness. Um, God is uniquely committed to moral integrity. And he's committed to moral integrity in a degree beyond anybody else. And part of God's holiness is that he cuts through the pretense of his own people's arrogance. What do I mean? Well, go back and think about the... Am I? Apparently, I am pushing a mute button inadvertently. And... Um, it's a new mic. It's a new mic, but it is an old pastor. Um. All right, team. Yeah, no, that's fine. Um, um, the story leading into Daniel. Where was I? Jeremiah. If you're reading along uh, in uh, uh, Anglican Evening Prayer, um, the, uh, you're reading in Jeremiah right now, and you're getting actually the backstory for Daniel. Uh, and one of the things that you'll find is that in the story leading up to uh, Daniel, Israel had become pretentious, and they had become arrogant, and they had become hypocritical. Um, officially, the king of Israel, before this point, invoked the Lord. And officially, the king of Israel supported the temple. And officially, the king of Israel supported the law of the Lord. Um, but what we find out is that while there were a few good kings, most of the kings, um, for them, the temple and the law of the Lord and their, the story of their redemption, all of that had become a kind of cover. They weren't really giving their allegiance to the Lord. All of that had become a cover for them to pursue their own autonomy. They were not really loyal to the Lord. They used their religion as, as a kind of cover-up so that they could, uh, uh, below the surface, rebel against him. There was a culture of pretense, hypocrisy. And that culture of pretense and hypocrisy led to um, continual corruption and evil and sin and violence. And what we find out is that the Lord is holier than Israel and that he is not willing to play along with their games. He just doesn't play along. The Lord is very patient with Israel, but he refuses to be complicit with their sin. And there comes a time when Israel, or when the Lord over the course of many, many years says, Israel, Israel, I need your attention. He says this through the prophets. Jeremiah is a great example. God says, Israel, you got to stop it. Cut it out. You're acting like Pharaoh, whom I defeated before. And if I defeated Pharaoh before, do you think I won't defeat you now? you got to stop it, Israel. Israel, you're... 
All of the, everything you need to know is in my law. And I have given you prophet after prophet. You got to stop it, Israel. You got to stop pretending, Israel. You got to stop acting like hypocrites, Israel. Cut it out. Turn around. It's called repentance. Do it now. But they don't. And so the Lord keeps a promise. And he says, in my holiness, I will dismantle everything that gives you security. See, the Lord was not betraying Israel when he gave them over to Nebuchadnezzar. What the Lord was doing is he was being loyal to his own holiness. He was being loyal to his moral integrity. And that is precisely, Emmanuel, why he deserves your allegiance. Let me ask you a question. And let's, let's, let's think about our own day for just a second. Um, how much do you trust American Christianity right now? How much do your friends trust it? And I say that because there's a lot of disillusionment running about. And if you're not disillusioned, fantastic. But this person sitting next to you may well be. And the person who's not sitting next to you may well be. And when we see pretense and arrogance and hypocrisy within the church, it's very tempting to lose confidence in the God they claim to represent. Am I wrong? But consider this. You will never find a sharper critique of phony religion than you will find within the pages of Scripture. You will never find a sharper critique of phony religion than you will find in the God represented in the scriptures. No one dismantles phony religion like God does in the Bible. And throughout the Bible, the Lord cuts through the pretense of the arrogance of his people time and again. The Lord's intolerance to hypocrisy and false religion is the key reason why when we see it in, in the church and in the people of God, that is a moment for us to rediscover who he really is. So the first reason why the Lord de deserves your allegiance in the midst of a time when things are being dismantled is because those are the moments when you uh, rediscover his holiness and you see uh, the, the, the one who stands against all the corruption and the sin that is offensive. But there's more. Go back to the reading. Because God gives Israel to Babylon, and on the surface, it looks like God is switching sides, doesn't it? In fact, there are moments when God calls Nebuchadnezzar his servant. However, I want to show you that things are not as they seem. As we read through the rest of the book of Daniel, you will find that just like God cuts through the pretense of his own people, the, uh, God also cuts through the pretense of all the alternatives. So in this day, so if you're an Israelite in Daniel's era, um, or if you're a bystander uh, watching from the outside, it might look, it, you would, I mean, it, it looks like Israel failed, Babylon won. That means Babylon's God is, must be truer than Israel's God. Um, and you could imagine why people would say, well, clearly, Babylon's the future. Clearly, history's on the side of Babylon. And not on the side of Israel or its God. 
clearly Babylon is the, is the direction of progress. And, and you could imagine people saying, let's sign up for Babylon's empire and Babylon's philosophy and Babylon's God. We don't want to go retrograde to the Lord of Israel. We want to go forward into the God of Babylon. And, and can you see why that would be attractive? But not so fast. Because the book of Daniel is going to open up a story where God turns his critique upon Babylon. All through this story, God treats Babylon and their regime. He submits them to the same scrutiny that he gave his own people. And what we're going to find out is that Babylon cannot stand up to the scrutiny of a holy God. That the alternatives, the obvious alternative to classical Israelite religion, the alternative cannot stand up before God's scrutiny either. Actually, Babylon is arguably worse. And in just a few years, all of Babylon collapses. The, Daniel, the man, outlives the Babylonian Empire. At least this part of the regime. And once again, we're going to find another reason why we need to give God our deepest allegiance even when everything seems to be dismantled around us. Um, you know, it's tempting today uh, to follow a same line of thought. We might see the failures within the Christian church, uh, and it might make a lot of sense to conclude, well, uh, that is part of the past. Let's go forward. Let's uh, shift our allegiance to some competing alternative philosophy, movement, uh, cause, whatever it might be. And, and many of those uh, alternative uh, philosophies and so forth have some merit in them that are very, very attractive. And there's things that we can usually learn from them. And yet we need to be very, very careful because... None of them will stand up to the scrutiny of a holy God. Not in the end. So what do we do? Well, Daniel shows us the way. Because when you, Daniel's going to teach us how to give our deepest allegiance to the God we meet in these pages. And then we're going to watch how that God, the God who is true and holy, cuts through the pretense of both his own corrupt people and also the alternatives. And as we watch him do that, we're going to gain wisdom on how we can discern what is good and helpful in, in the various uh, alternative philosophies and so forth around us, but also what is toxic and phony. The Lord gives his people wisdom. So, the Lord deserves our deepest allegiance, uh, partially because he cuts through the pretense of his own people, but also because he cuts through the pretense of the alternatives. And as we keep our eyes on him, he gives us wisdom from both, and he leads us forward towards himself. But then there's one last thing. The last reason today that we give our deepest allegiance to God in the midst of a great dismantling is that God displays his authentic kingdom through his faithful ambassadors. What in the world does that mean? Well, look back at the reading. Do you see his, uh, Daniel and his friends? Do you see them at the end? Uh, they get taken to Babylon and they get new names. They get Babylonian names and they get re-educated. Uh, not in the law of the Lord, but in the law of the Chaldeans and the Babylonians and their God. And that's an attempt to colonize them, uh, to rewrite their identities. However, we're going to find out that it backfires. Because these men... Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, now, they walk with the Lord in the midst of the great dismantling around them. 
And they're seasoned by the experience of that difficulty and that suffering. They're seasoned by um, the prophetic word that has uh, come before them, especially in Jeremiah and in others. They're seasoned through the experience of suffering. And they're seasoned in such a way that their allegiance to God becomes distilled and focused. And despite the fact that outwardly they're enslaved by the greatest superpower of their day, nevertheless, they end up being agents of God's kingdom. They, begin, they end up being agents of God's kingdom on the inside of a corrupt kingdom. They become agents and witnesses of the Lord, ambassadors of God in the courts of corrupt power. We're going to see it time and time again. Daniel and his friends, they get to represent God to Babylon. Daniel and his friends get to hold up God in his holiness and his moral integrity to a whole culture that had never seen God's holiness or moral integrity before. That precisely as Israel seems to be dismantled, that's one of the key moments when Israel begins to fulfill its mission to bless all nations of the world. The Lord wasn't, the Lord hadn't lost control. He knew what he was doing. And Daniel and his friends, they, they're agents of God's kingdom in Babylon, not as adversaries. They're, they're, you know, Daniel's not a revolutionary. He's not trying to burn down the empire. What he does is he and his friends work creatively inside the empire as God's ambassadors, giving God their deepest allegiance and serving even the enemies of God. And as they do that, God uses them to begin renewing Israel itself. Do you remember I said before that um, this is a moment of unimaginable catastrophe for the people of Israel? And that's true, but it's also misleading. Because God dismantles Israel only to rebuild it, only to restore it, only to renew it. And he uses Daniel and his friends to do it. And that's what he's calling us to, Emmanuel. In this season where we are living through this historical moment with a significant amount of dismantling it, some of it needs to happen. Some of the dismantling needs to happen around us. But this is a time where we get to uh, uh, renew our deep uh, allegiance to God as he presents himself in scripture. This is a time where we get to rediscover who God is, even as we see some of the corruptions around us. And as we do that, the Lord's going to use us as ambassadors in the midst of the world. When you're out at work, he's going to use you as ambassadors of the kingdom. When we're here in church, he's going to use us as ambassadors of the kingdom. And the Lord wants to bless our nation, our city, our communities, our professions, and the church through our renewed allegiance and loyalty and trust in the Lord as he presents himself in scripture. And it's going to be hard. Daniel and his friends become ambassadors of God precisely through a path of suffering. And that is often the way. God often renews and establishes his kingdom as his people walk through suffering. God dismantled aspects of Israelite culture and then renewed it. 
God, uh, uh, Daniel experiences dismantling and his friends various moments, and then from that brings renewal and redemption. But it all reaches a climax when God himself becomes human in the person of Jesus Christ, fully human, fully God. And as an Israelite, Jesus Christ experiences complete dismantling when he goes up upon the cross. And on the cross, God was displaying um, the, the, the pretense and evil of sin, but God was also destroying the power of sin and its guilt. And when Jesus died, then God raised him from the dead to be the kingdom that Israel always looked, the king that God, Israel always looked forward to, the son of David, who brings the kingdom that will never be dismantled. And all of that is anticipated in Daniel. So now as we enter into Daniel, get ready. Get ready to rediscover who God is and get ready to surrender your deep trust to him and get ready to be commissioned as ambassadors in the midst of this world as we point the world in the midst of their dismantling to the king whose kingdom never ends. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com slash give.